Welcome to this edition of the Panthers Presence Podcast. I'm Jordan Klein, and I'm joined by former pit guard Julius Page. Julius, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining us. I'm doing wonderful. It's my pleasure. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So how about you um, tell the pit fans uh, after graduating, maybe played some overseas ball, what you're up to now? Right now, I'm doing a little bit of everything. I'm helping my wife with her nonprofit organization, um, which is tutoring kids online. Um, basically, what I do is I focus on kids from communities to the one that I grew up in, because that's the kid that usually needs the help in school and don't have the finances to afford a tutor. So right now, the, the bulk of my time is doing that and helping my kids stay on task, man, which is a difficult thing right now since, you know, our schedule has been messed up since March. Yeah, it's totally different now with this online learning. It's changing, changing the lives of a lot of kids. So I want you to take me back to when you were being recruited. Okay. What, what was your recruitment like, and why did you end up choosing Pitt? Um, recruitment for me was a little stressful. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I went from not really getting any letters to getting letters by the box load. Um, it feels like overnight. So uh, every day I was getting, the mailman was making stops to my house. Like he would park in front of the house and drop mine off it's different than everybody else's. And um, I kind of just would just throw it all into a different box <laughs> and really didn't get into it because I was more focused with trying to live up to the hype, if you will. You know what I'm saying? So um, I didn't really dig into, I wasn't as diligent as maybe I should have been. I was just really flattered to have so many different schools interested in me coming to attend their school. What were some of the schools that were showing you the most interest? Um, I think most biggie schools was interested with the exception of UConn. Um, I, didn't, I don't recall getting a letter from UConn. Um, and, and schools from, from all over. The thing was, it was, you know, I even got a letter from Duquesne. I didn't even know Duquesne was in Pittsburgh at the time. Um, you know, being that I'm from the Northeast, you know, we, we saw a lot of ACC and Big East basketball. In, in regards to everybody else, I knew of the Arizonas and the UCLAs, but I didn't really know of the other schools, to be honest with you. So they kind of didn't even make it <laughs> on my list just because I, I really wasn't too familiar with their programs. So, yeah, a lot of schools, I didn't know, no blue bloods for the most part. So no UCLAs or Duke, North Carolina. Kentucky, I didn't have any of those, but for the most part, everybody else, I was getting letters from. Why, why Pitt? So Pitt being only three hours from my hometown, Buffalo, and when I was a kid, my stepfather used to bring us here to play against kids on, in the Hill District. So I always had that connection to Pittsburgh. Um, and then uh, Curtis Aiken, <clears throat> who is from Buffalo, uh, is from the same area. He played basketball after my father, who's from the same area. So he actually knew my dad. And it's somebody who um, I'm familiar with. So in that regard, I think it just made sense. Curtis turned out to be uh, pretty successful without, bas without using basketball. And that was always something that I thought about. Um, if I didn't go pro, if I didn't have the career 
that I wanted to have, or, you know, I'll end up back in Buffalo or I'll be okay. That was like huge to me. And since I already had a model of somebody that was able to do it, um, that, that, that definitely helped in my decision-making. So during your recruitment, was that, that, was that the time where they transitioned from Willard to Howland? And if so, how, how did that transition work, go, go down for you? So I was Coach Allen's first recruiting class. I was I was his second his second year. So we we was his actual first. Brandon was the year before that, but he wasn't recruited by him. Um, I was the first to commit also. So Chevy, Yuri, Mark McCarroll, Tori Morris, they all signed after I did. Um, and I remember seeing Chevy and I believe Yuri play in Sharon, Pennsylvania. Me and Mark played together on the USA team. And I didn't even know I met Tori. The first time I met Tori was the first day, uh, the first weekend before classes start. So um, that was the extent of us being able to communicate with each other. And we already, and then even with me, Chevy and Yuri, we already had committed to Pitt. We would just hear about each other through Pitt about what we were doing. So I was actually, I used to hear about Chevy dominating and he was Mr. Uh, Pennsylvania and all of that stuff. So yeah, we, I didn't have, I didn't, and social media wasn't around. So I didn't really get a chance to, you know, make a decision like kids say, oh, I want to go here because he's going here or whatever the case. We didn't have that back then. So you was kind of just um, relying on what you was hearing from these coaches. Mm -hmm. So for you, when you committed to Pitt, I mean, the team wasn't having much success candidly. Yes, Ben Hallen had been hired, had his first year, but they hadn't had much success overall. And for you, what was it? Because you could have, like you said, you could have gone to almost any other school in the Big East. What was it for you? And why did you believe in Coach Hallen's vision to take the Pitt program where he took it? Right. So my first, well, let me put it this way. I considered Rutgers first in the Big East because they was the first Big East school to actually offer me a scholarship. The next on that list was Villanova uh, because I was a Kerry Kittles fan, okay? And I, and I liked Kerry Kittles. You know, then you have <clears throat> UConn who didn't recruit, recruit me. But um, in that, basically Rutgers and Villanova had its first, they basically had me but had to like um, do something for me not to come there basically. And um, Rutgers coach got fired because of a situation that he had at the time with a player and running suicides with no clothes or something crazy like that. So he ended up getting fired. That was the end of that. And Villanova coach who they just got Ray Buchanan told me that I would play behind Ray Buchanan, which I thought, was blasphemy being that I felt that I was better than Ray Buchanan. Okay. And um, so that was like the end of the Villanova, which kind of now gave everybody else in the Big East a go because the two teams that I actually wanted to go to for whatever reason took their names out of the hat. So that's Syracuse didn't start recruiting me until late. Notre Dame um, coach they had success they had Troy Murphy I just never saw myself playing at Notre Dame to be honest with you um who well you have Seton Hall I'm not interested oh no Seton Hall had uh Eddie Griffin so they had the number one recruiting class coming in that year they had Eddie Griffin Andre Barrett so they didn't recruit me either um I can't think of who else um Marquette in the league at the time what was that was Marquette in the league at the time 
Marquette wasn't in the league at the time. Not at all. But yeah, I think um, by a process of elimination that way and Pitt being so close. So I took, I was able to take an unofficial visit to Pitt, uh, which helped, um, definitely helped only three hours away. So, and I was already like pretty familiar and comfortable. I can't, like when I got here, it felt like I was already here before because I actually was a few times. You know what I'm saying? Even um, we drove here to watch UConn play when I was in high school because my high school coach um, and Khalid El Amin at the time was was like friends or not friends, but you know, my, my coach was more like a mentor to him. So we actually came down. So I was, I've been on pit campus even prior to committing here. It was almost like a perfect situation. And in regards to, you know, Pitt not having a good team, um, I'm more of a rebel. In high school, my high school team wasn't the greatest team when I moved up from JV to varsity. And when I walked in, like, on day one, I, I was like, listen, I'm trying to win the States because I understood that how can – I just – logically, it felt like if I can't help a high school team compete for a state championship, I cannot help a college team compete for a national championship. I mean, that kind of makes logical sense to me. So I didn't mind coming to a team that wasn't good because I felt like, like I did in high school, I could make a team become a, a, a contender. So that's why I didn't care about the, the kind of year that year uh, Pitt had before me getting here. Did you know any of those other guys when you were being recruited? Brandon, uh, Jerron, Donatus? Like, were you, did you have a relationship with any of those guys, or was it just kind of you guys got thrown in the fire together? Well, Brandon, brother, played at Stanford, so I knew of his name, and I knew of his brother more so than him. But I also knew of Brandon because he played with Tony L uh, coming out of high school, who was, who was like, highly ranked, uh, rated coming out of high school so I, I heard Brandon name thrown out there because of his high school career also so <clears throat> he is the one player um Isaac Hawkins and Ricardo Greer I remember them like I remember watching games that they played in even with Von Teagle Cummings like I remember watching Pitt play and and liking them in particular so those maybe those three names are the only guys that I can say that I knew well not knew but knew of prior to getting here so I want you to take us back to 2001, your freshman year. You're playing at Georgetown. Ricardo Greer is running down the left side, passes it to you on the right, and you dunk over seven foot four center Buche Buche. So just walk us walk us through that play. What was going through your mind, and what ended up what ended up happening after you dunked on him? Okay, so um, before that play took place. Um, uh, maybe like a couple of minute and a half or so before that took place, I actually drove baseline and I adjusted my shot because Boom J was, was, was there. He met me at the rim and I adjusted my shot. I felt like I was fouled, but I adjusted my shot. Referee didn't call a foul. And that was kind of like the explanation. You, you should have just went up strong and adjusted your shot. Okay. So to me, you know, and I already knew that like, so I already knew being a freshman, I was already told by officials like during the game when I would say something, he was fouling, they'll say something like, you're only a freshman, <laughs> okay? Like, we're not giving you the benefit of the doubt because you're only a freshman. So that was like the tipping point. You know, in that situation, that was the first time on a roll playing against a big opponent like that. It was like, okay, I'm not going to get any calls. The next time I touch the ball and I go to the basket, 
I'm trying to dunk it because if I do anything else, I'm not going to get the call. So truth be told, when that transition happened, I just ran the floor knowing, saying to myself, if I touch it, I'm dunking it. Boom J happened. I did not see Boom J coming. It wasn't until I caught it, already took my strides and jumped that I seen him about to jump. I didn't see him prior to that. So when I caught it and he jumped and I jumped, I mean, he's going to lose that battle because it's just, I don't think anybody <laughs> in my prime of, of playing basketball is blocking my dunk. I just don't think it's, it's humanly possible. So once he, once he, once that laid out, he was just, the, the rest is history. So when, when he jumped and you jumped, you know, you knew it was going in. You had no doubt in your mind that you were going. I've never had a dunk block. I literally I've hit my, my, like I get up so fast and so high that a big for sure is not blocking my dunk. It would have to be a guard probably that can get up as high as me because I'm going to get off the ground a lot faster than you anyway. So he didn't stand a chance. He just didn't know it. Because you guys both got up pretty high. I mean, there's a picture I've seen of that play and just how high in the air you are. It's just, it's just incredible. <laughs> your head, your head was like above the rim at some point during that dunk for for a while. So, do you ever hear about that dunk? Do people ever come up to you and ask you about it, or All do you think people have forgotten about it? No, 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 no. <laughs> that dunk is 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 legendary. It will never go away. Between um, you know, every time a dunk happened, you know, famous dunks come up. So it's mentioned. Um, I've played in Germany at the same time Boom J played in Germany. So it was brought up again because we played in the same place. Um, and then these lists, it's top 10 on a lot of people's lists. So I think it's something that's just going to be around until I get pushed out of the top 10. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it as high as six on some lists. Yeah. I, it's so, up there. It's definitely up there. I mean, you, anytime you have a guard dunking on a seven footer, who is a known shot blocker, by the way, it's going to stick around. Mm -hmm. And for me, honestly, if you look at the timeline of how pit basketball ascended during that time period, you could almost say that that dunk was the beginning of the ascension of pit basketball during that time period. Absolutely. Because Coach Holland says it all the time, that that was the turning point. That was the play. Mm -hmm. I mean, in anything, that's what you really need to happen. Everybody is really one player or one play away from turning around because it becomes a confidence thing. Not only did that happen, but we won that game. Yeah, so you guys won that game, won you that went game, on. Something different, right. Something different might actually happen, but we also won that game on yeah. the road against a top 15 team. Okay, so that's a show. Decide, that's a huge game. Absolutely, absolutely. So again, and for me, I, I think I have 18, 20 points that game. So even for me, it's like, you know, I wasn't really – producing at your typical freshman level and it just gave me more confidence that I can compete at this level it's, it was it was the proof all the proof that we needed now we were inconsistent we also lost to some scrubs that year not no scrubs but to teams that we shouldn't have lost to in my opinion um and that was just us still figuring it out we were really inconsistent so staying on that staying on that train um you guys ended up making the Big East finals that year in 2001 it was pretty unexpected i mean most people would say you guys 
most people didn't really give you guys a shot. Um, you guys played in the opening round, and you guys won three games in three days to make it to the finals against Boston College. So just walk me through that year. What, what was it during that Big East tournament that made you guys have such a good run? Okay. Um, so I think, number one, we already knew that we can compete with the best of the best because we beat the Georgetowns on a row. We beat uh, Seton Hall, who was also ranked that year. Uh, again, we were just an inconsistent team. I think more so than any uh, Coach Holland came, this is where the Big East tournament is where I became a defensive stopper, basically. Um, what happened was the teams that we played, Syracuse, Notre Dame, uh, Syracuse, Notre Dame, and who else did we play to get there? I think you guys might have played Miami. Miami, man. I think Miami, yeah. They all had guards that kind of ran the show. So our approach was to try to take the guard out of the game or wear him down, like basically cut off the head, the body of fall. So what he did, well, that was the first time he was like, we're just going to put you on him and let you pick up on him full court. Okay, and that was the job. That was, that was the thing. And then Ricardo and, I, and everything else, I can't recall to even taking a shot, to be honest with you. <laughs> My job was to go out there and just lock up for the most part. And that's what I did. And my, my teammates handled the rest, and we made a run. When we ran into Boston College, though, didn't work. Because, number one, they didn't really run that kind of situation. Troy Bell, who was their best player, was more of a scorer, and he didn't really handle the rock. He was coming off a lot of screens, a lot of on-ball action, off-ball action. Totally different thing, and they bullied us. They was a stronger, more physical team by far, okay? And me and Brandon had this conversation, and Brandon liked to think that we was tired. <laughs> he liked to think we was tired. No, he wasn't tired. Maybe he was I tired. I give credit tired. to Boston College. Boston College ran through us, which is another monumental thing that happened to us because after that, as a team, we start taking weightlifting series. That, is the, that was the turning point. We used to play around in the weight room prior to that. After that game, we took weightlifting series. I'm sorry about that. I'm getting text messages. So just bear with me if you can hear that notification going up. You know what that yeah. reminds me of? That reminds me of if you watch The Last Dance, if you see Michael Jordan didn't take weightlifting seriously until he lost to the Pistons. Yeah. And he took it seriously, won six championships in a row. Absolutely. Or not six in a row, but he won three and then another three in a row. It's very similar because, yeah, the Pistons played that style of play. Boston College ran flex, which is a lot of – uh, if you know what the flex cut is, it's cutting right across the lane. So if a guy is cutting across the lane, you never really want somebody to cut across the lane without being touched. So even when you go to bump them, they wasn't, they was ready for it. They was looking forward to the bump and, and hitting us. <laughs> okay. Like really. And I remember just standing here to hit one of them and him like, let me have it. Like running, he knocked me all the way off. Like my spot. I felt like a little kid and it was like, Oh no. Nah. I can't, this has never happened to me again. From right there, it never happened to me again. How do you think that run in 2001 transitioned you guys to the next season? You guys made the Big East Championship again. Brandon won Big East Player of the Year, and you guys were very successful in that 2002 season. So how do you think that run in 2001 really boosted you guys and transitioned you guys into uh, a ton of success? 
Uh, well, I think a number of things happened. Number one, I think Brandon came back a different player knowing I feel like he knew what he had to be in order for us to get over the hump, <clears throat> which he did. So I think mindset-wise, he was ready to go. Uh, then from us as a team, like I said, weightlifting really made us better, made us stronger. He, you know, we, we were the, the, the enforcers now. He wasn't the ones getting picked, over, pick, picked on. He was the ones who was setting the tone. I think we also have to give, you know, when we look at Brandon, I have to give credit to Kyle Krauser because in practice, Kyle is going to compete, even though he did not play that year because he was redshirted. He's competing with Brandon Evans, still sharp and still. Okay, so Brandon having to go against him every single day in practice did nothing but make him better when he's going because he it wasn't no day off for Brandon. So I have to give credit to Kyle also. I'm, and I'm not saying like, you know, that's just what it is. I, I, I can't see how good players don't see how they make each other better. I don't, I'm not trying to take anything from Brandon or anything in that regard. I'm just giving credit to where I feel like it's due. And for a, a person who's pushing you, I, I, I kind of like that and respect that. So I think um, he deserves some of that credit also because it, it sets a tone. So 2002, you guys make a run to the Big East Finals. Brandon Knight gets hurt. You guys lose to UConn, and I believe that was a double overtime game. But 2003, you finally get over the hump and win the Big East Championship. What, just what was that like for you after losing two years in a row? Well, for me, you know, the only thing I could think about was the Buffalo Bills because I'm from Buffalo and how it felt to watch them lose four Super Bowls in a row and how to be all excited that your team is making it to only be let down. And because that was just, that's all I could think about is please, like I can't continue to do this. <laughs> so that game more than any, like I, I, I really went into that game, like I don't care if I come out of here hurt and can't play in a tournament. If we win this game, I'm satisfied. Even if I can't play after this game. And you that won tournament MVP. That was more of my approach to that tournament. I couldn't allow us to, um, to not win that one. It, it, just with me. I'm not saying I did it on my own just because I got that because I didn't. But the thing is, in, in the times where plays needed to be, to be made, I believe I made them in that game opposed to other games because they needed to happen. You, you find that as a trend. Even when we lost in games, it's plays that have to be made at certain times and you need somebody to make a play. And sometimes I didn't make a play. And that's the why we lost. I can't speak for anybody else. I, I tend to look at it through my lens. So when we lose, I feel like I came up short. It's something that I could have did better. Okay, so I hope that other guys did that also. And I feel like they did. That's why we continue to get better. But I always just look at it through that lens. So the game that we happened to win, which was that Big East tournament game, I feel like I made plays during that game that got us over the hump. You won tournament MVP that year also. Yeah, but that's just a, that's just a default, uh, you know, team trophy. At the end of the day, some, you know, it was my responsibility <clears throat> um, as well as, you know, Brandon, Donatus. We have five guys that pretty much average double figures um, at any given night. I mean, I was, I led the team in scoring that year, but not by a long shot or anything. We didn't have, you know, that kind of guy. So at the end of the day, we kind of shared it. When it comes to defense, 
I think that's a team situation anyway. It's just a matter of any, that could have been anybody is what I'm saying. And that's not me being modest. A lot of people was like, oh, you know, you being, I, you know, it's so much, even from a defensive standpoint and me guarding a Ben Gordon or a Troy Bell or any of these, any of these guys, if the ball is in their hand and they're come on, coming off an on-ball screen and you rarely seen a guy trying to take me off the dribble by himself. If he's coming off that screen, I have to rely on my teammate to be on time so that he can't just turn the corner and I can get back. And just because of that, my, more often than none, my guys were always on time. And if that's the case, I can't, get, I can't absorb all of the praise that I get when I rely so heavily on other players to be in position in order for me to do my job. <clears throat> so again, that MVP is nothing but uh, just a team trophy given to basically one guy. <laughs> Seriously. So, so switch gears for a second. One thing I want to ask you about were the practices. Everyone, okay. everyone, everyone's heard. People, people like to talk about those practices. They're super physical. They're fights all the time. But some right. for, from someone who actually participated in those practices, what were they like? Physical. They were physical and competitive because coaches like the games to be competitive. So you have the dynamic of cheating that comes into play. I'm just going to keep it real. Whenever you have two teams that's, that's playing, number one, to win because they, they're competitive, and then you add in the fact that based on who win, one team gets water, the other team has to run. That's the different dynamic. On top of that, you know that they're going to talk trash. While you're running and they're getting water, they're going to talk trash and chirp at you. More of a reason why you want to win. And then the element of the coaches wanting to keep it close. So if you happen to be winning the game, let's say 6-0, you almost know that the coaches is going to start calling calls to make it a closer game. They're going to start cheating and make it competitive, which makes you mad and more competitive. So I think the entire dynamic of practice is just, for us at least, was just set up to be a messy physical fight for the most part because it was just no way around it. And what's so cool to me is how that culture of those practices lasted on for so long. I mean, you hear guys, I talked to Gilbert Brown, Trey Woodall, they'll, they'll, they'll tell you about the, those types of practices, how physical they were, the fights that went on in those practices. And it just showed how when Howland was there with you, Brandon, Ricardo Greer, Jerron Brown, you guys helped lay that culture of a winning program, and that lasted on for so long. Yeah, you know, you had, it's so funny, because you had a class. Everybody had to be initiated into it, it feels like. In practice, when you're a freshman, you can get held. Like literally, a guy can grab your arm, slap the ball out, go the other way and score, and the coach gonna look at you like, "Welcome to Division One basketball." And it's like, but that's a clear foul, okay? And they gonna laugh because it's because that's just so. By the time you get through your freshman year, you you number one, you stop complaining because you realize I'm just not gonna get the call. Number two, if this guy can grab me and take the ball. I better be a lot stronger with this basketball. So you auto, you, your game just changes. You have no choice. If you, were, you really have no choice because if you, if you soften up and your team lose, your teammates going to be looking at you a little crazy. <laughs> so I think, you know, having Isaac Hawkins, a guy who was really good at cheating without getting caught, 
but being able to show you the ropes, I think it definitely helped lay that foundation for sure. Do you have one story from one of those practices that you might want to share with the audience? Well, well one in particular with me and Isaac was me getting so frustrated because he kept holding and I was getting frustrated to where I wanted to fight and he was laughing, okay, <laughs> the entire time. He's laughing at me getting mad wanting to fight because every time he would set a screen, he would hold me, you know, and he would do it. You know, when you, when you see the screen coming, like your arm is out, you playing D and you kind of hit the guy a little bit, he would have his arms folded like he was setting the screen, but he was actually grabbing your arm and holding you. And... He would just, it was just so funny to him. And he was like, in order to prevent that from happening, he started showing me what I had to do. So um, I don't know. That, that's the first thing, the first story that came to my mind when you asked me that question. Other than that, the violence, you don't want to hear about those. Those are just regular, you know, young men being young men and competing with each other. Nothing crazy? Um, anything crazy? I mean, it's been, it's been... A, a couple of situations, I wouldn't say crazy. I would just say, um, I mean, crazy, not really. I mean, fights usually don't last that long, you know, and they, they usually get separated too. So if you do end up hitting somebody or whatever the case may be, you, you really only had about 10, 20 seconds before everybody get in front of you anyway. So nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. So one thing I want to ask you about is, so after 2003, you guys win the Big East Championship. Um, you guys end up losing to Marquette in the NCAA tournament, I believe, when they head to Wayne Wade. And then mm -hmm. after that, Ben Howland departs and takes the job at UCLA. And then, so after that, um, there's was, there was a lot of speculation about who's going to get the job. And it ended up being Jamie Dixon, his assistant coach, who also came over with Howland from Northern Arizona, the school where they originally coached together. So for you, what was that transition like? And what, how, how did that all go down from your perspective? Okay, so <clears throat> at the time, um, this is a complicated question, only because looking back at it, my feelings towards it is a little different than when I was actually going through it. So um, at the time when Coach Holland, you know, left, I was, I was unsure if I wanted to come back to Pitt regardless. Um, and because of that, I didn't really care who Pitt, that wasn't on my mind. Who Pitt was pushing to get wasn't really my concern. Um, so I wasn't, when they say that we was lobbying, I wasn't one of the guys lobbying for anybody. That wasn't me. The other guys were speaking up that they wanted Coach Dixon or whatever the case. The other guys, whatever they was doing, I had no idea what was going on but I wasn't one of them that was doing anything. So, uh, but I did, if I was gonna stay, did want Coach Dixon <clears throat> to be the guy. I was not gonna come back at all if Coach Dixon wasn't the guy. Okay, <laughs> so that was, let's be clear on that. That was my only stance, okay? And I, if that helped, I don't know, but that was the extent of how I felt about the situation uh, because I knew him, he knew me, and I wasn't gonna learn a totally different coach at all. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, briefly, I thought about it, but then it was like, I, I couldn't see myself going anywhere else. And I don't know, I was more numb, disappointed, but understanding at the same time. But I would be a lie if I didn't say I wasn't disappointed that the guy that recruited me had left. And I felt like 
felt, you know, it, it, that's unfinished business too, because it's not like we always was that good. You know what I'm saying? Like we built that together. And then it, I kind of took it like he felt like he couldn't go no further with me. So, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Looking back at it, I was more hurt than I would have admitted to when I was younger. You know, coming from the kind of background that I came from, not having a father figure, not no real structure, I should say. That was the first time of my life that I actually had structure and was, and was succeeding. Still, I, I had success before, but that was the first time like having somewhat of a tight-knit family. And then just like that, not only did Brandon graduate, who was my roommate, you know, so not only did we lose significant pieces to a team that was actually together for two, what, three, four years, but the coach is leaving too. So I kind of felt a little abandoned at the same time, but I didn't really notice it or really figure that out until I got older in life. Do you think Howland leaving put a little bit of a chip on your shoulder for that next season? Absolutely. You know, that, that season I got, you thought I could, I mean, I, I was ready to go. If you would have saw me in between that summer, I was definitely going to be one of the best players in college basketball that year. Unfortunately, I got injured. So, and that's what took that my senior year for a whole term because I probably should not have played that year. Mm -hmm. So one thing I always like to do on the podcast, uh, most, most of my listeners know this. I've done this with a lot of guys who've come on three name games. So what's going to happen, Julius, I'm going to give you three names. And you're going to pick one, just tell a little, a little story or memory about that person. We're going to do three rounds. All Let's right, so, so first round, we got Brandon Knight, Carl Krauser, and Ronald Ramon. So I have to pick between the three? Yeah, and just, yeah. And just tell, like, a story okay. about that person. All right, so I'm going to pick Carl Krauser. You know, Carl, me and Carl go back to the AAU days. And, um... We always competed. I always liked the way that Carl played the game and he competed. And the times that we played against them, I remember breaking the um, a scoring record in the AAU tournament and Carl breaking the record I just broke the day after. <laughs> okay, so we, for some reason, ran into each other a lot. And I think I got the... Um, my team, I think he has a better record in that regard against me, but I always like playing against him, you know, because he competes, he plays hard. And, you know, before then we would talk about coming, going to the same school and stuff like that. Like those, I remember all of those days, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> I don't know, to be honest with you, where it feels like it's been tension between me and Carl. I don't have no, <clears throat> no issue or nothing. You know, he gets this rap. I think because of just his nature and how he competes, you know, you know what I'm saying? Do I agree with everything Carl says or does or anything like that? No, but from a competitive as a teammate and as a brother and stuff like that, is he somebody I would want on my team? Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So don't think that I don't, I wanted to kind of clear that up. It ain't no, that's me and him. That That's always, if you around him enough, you, you would just learn the dynamic. That's just one thing when you brought up Carl name, I just saw an opportunity where I think he's misunderstood <clears throat> within our program also. And that should change because I don't think people really know him. So for our next round, we're going to go Ricardo Greer, Chevy Troutman, and Jerron Brown. Oh man. 
You're making these difficult. Um, well, what I like to do, I like to give three so I can, I can get the best, the best story that the listeners would like to hear. I got you. <laughs> okay, so with that being said, I'm going to go Chevy Troutman. I'm going to go Chevy uh, because he came in the same time that I came in. And Chevy has been a man child since, since the day one. I remember one of our first practices, us giving it to Chevy, who was being guarded by Ricardo Greer, play after play, him getting a bucket, play after play, because Chevy, and that was our freshman year, Chevy was just that dominant right from the beginning, six seven, strong. <clears throat> I remember uh, Coach Holland trying to make him into a, a small forward because that definitely would have got him right into the league. But, um, yeah, Chevy is one of those guys, man. Another, another, I think, I think he's valued, but still underappreciated at the same time, only because he's, he's a guy who, who really, I mean, you look at his numbers, he was really consistent, you know what I'm saying? But I think he's just overlooked because his game was just basic, you know, layups, good defense, being very efficient. I think because it was that way, he's not really looked at as one of the great greats. I'm not going to say he's on his level, but Chevy's game almost reminds me of a Zion Williamson light. It's the way, he, the way he gets his buckets, the way he rebounds. He's so strong. Right. I just, I, I don't know if anyone, I don't know if you see it, but I, I see a little bit of a resemblance there. Um, the only, I would agree. I understand exactly what you're saying. The only thing I would say is I feel Zion may be better at creating off the dribble for whatever reason i think he may be better at creating and getting to the basket off the dribble that's the only the only one thing yeah also no offense to chevy troutman but zion williamson top pick the nba draft listen i'll tell you this chevy in his prime against zion would be a great matchup that is not something that i'm just saying zion is dominating chevy by no means chevy is just as athletic and he's not he wouldn't be going for none of that on the defensive end, I think he could definitely challenge him. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for our last round, we're going to go Denadis Zavaskis, Ontario Lett, and Chris Taft. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm going to go Olet. I'm going to go Olet because I think he also is another guy who's underappreciated. Um, he came in my sophomore year. So that year that we actually came from that Big East run my freshman year, he joined the team after that. And O is instant buckets. You know what I'm saying? He's an undersized big who had post moves and can get buckets. And, you know, he couldn't stay on the floor due to foul trouble most of the time, and we would always laugh and joke about that. But in regards to the piece that uh, he played in the position that he played on that roster <clears> – <throat> Um, he played a significant role. I mean, we all know Donatus and his shooting, but we mentioned that a lot. I feel like because Ontario, number one, came off the bench, and it wasn't because he couldn't start. It was just because rotation-wise, it just made more sense to bring him there. I feel like he's another guy. But I think I feel like that about everybody. I feel I said the same thing. You gave me three, uh, nine names. I chose three, and I feel like I would have said the same thing about everybody, that they're not really appreciated. And that just goes to say that I feel like every piece on our team was just as important. 
because it was so that that team was so different than the than the later teams like the 2009 team because on your team you guys didn't have a guy who averaged over I think you were the leading scorer averaging 12 points uh like you said Chevy uh Jerron Brown Brandon all averaged double figures but you guys didn't have a superstar like that 2009 team with Sam Young Dewan Blair where you didn't have a guy like Carl Krauser ended think, up averaging I think like we 16. did though I think we did. I think it just didn't translate mm -hmm. to stats that way. Like people you know didn't like, see that. When you that. look at Chevy, when Chevy had to take a lot of shots, he averaged more points. I think it was just more fun. You know what I'm saying? It, it's nice to get numbers, but when we played where everybody can score, that was fun to play that way. You know what I'm saying? To be unselfish with the ball and move the ball and stuff like that. At least for me, it was. At the same time, if you took, you know, me, Brandon, Chevy, Donatus or Jerron, if you take these guys and you just give them, I don't know, six extra shots, eight extra shots, they could have, we could, any of us could have averaged, you know, 15 and above. I think it was just a matter. I, so basically what I'm saying is we did have the superstar. Okay. It's just a matter of, we didn't really feel like we needed to go out there and get 20. It's not that I couldn't go get 20. You better believe I could have went out there and got 20. If I really wanted to every night. I could have got 20. Ask anybody on my team if I could. But I didn't need to. Yeah, one thing about that team that was different than just to compare it to the 2009 team is you turn on SportsCenter, you see everyone talking about Dewan Blair had 15 and 20. Sam Young right. had a quick 25. And just you, you guys right. didn't have that. And to me, honestly, yes, <clears throat> Sam and Dewan were two guys who were really fun to watch. But it's also so fun to watch that style of team-oriented basketball that you guys played in that 2003 season. It's a, different, it's a different style. And within motion, within motion, their team – would come in a half court setting and just throw it into Dewan or just throw it or just give it to Sam operating in the mid post situation where he would do a shot fake, shoot the jump shot or jab and get by you. Cause that's what he would do. Right. You would give it to them in those situations. Our situation didn't run that way. You wouldn't pass it to me. I would get it more in the flow, meaning we would call a play and it would be options off the play. If I curl it, and Donatus popped back, he would be open for the shot. And he would take that shot, knowing that I curled based on how they guarded us. That's how it would come to us. So it was never really feed him. It was never really a feed him type of situation. And that's not because we couldn't do it. That's, that's all I'm saying. We, we kind of saying the same thing, but different in a way. <laughs> do you think any of the teams that you played on, whether it be 2002, three, or four, could beat that 2019? Where would anybody think differently? How, how could we say one team made it to the Elite Eight and the other one made it to the Sweet 16 and kind of definitively say that one is better than the other? Even if a team, if, even if a person just jumped out and said our team was better, how could you say that? So what would make a person think that that team just trumps us just because they went to the Elite Eight? It doesn't make logical sense. But if you, if you put those teams, if you put, let's say, your 2003 team, just for example, on a five-on-five on, on five with a 2009 team, do you think you guys could beat them? I don't see where you would think otherwise. You have me on a squad. You got to understand, resume-wise, <clears throat> listen, this is not to take anything from those dudes, but I have, I have the likes of <clears throat> Chevy Troutman, Donatus Zavaskis, Ontario Lett, Mark McCarroll, Tori Morris. Okay, that's five guys I just named that all are going to guard Dewan at one point or another. 
I have a dude by the name of Jerron Brown who had to guard the, the Karam Butlers and the Carmelo Anthony's already. So the matchup between him and a Sam Young doesn't seem that much of a task now that we know who, who Jerron has a history of having to guard already. Am I right? Now that you say that. I, I, haven't, even, I haven't even gotten into me and Brandon yet. I took out they top two already, just right there. And I haven't even gotten to me and Brandon. We don't never look at it the other way around. We always assume that we're going to struggle guarding them without saying, how they going to guard us? <laughs> you think, and then you, you and Brandon against LeVance and Jermaine Dixon. How, how do you think that matchup goes down? I'm not, obviously I'm biased. So I'm, I'm mopping the floor with anybody and they not getting no buckets. And I'm saying that based off what we saw in between the lines. I never seen, for the most part, boys who was dropping 20s a night were struggling getting buckets on me. So I'm going to say it's safe that whoever I'm guarding ain't getting their work. It's safe to say that. Now, I'm just now, saying, look at my track record. It's safe to say that. <laughs> now that you say that, I think that's a very interesting because people always talk about the 2019 being the best team of that era. But now that you think about that's the fine. way they match up, you've got Chevy potentially guarding Dewan, who I think those are both two really strong guys. That's going to be a great matchup down low. And then Jerron Brown, who, like you said, guarded the Karan Butlers, guarded the Carmelo Anthony's. Those are two guys who played and had great success in the NBA that he could potentially stay with a guy like Sam Young. Absolutely. But again, but again, and this is where the, this is where the game has to be played, but you have a guy like a Dewan who can drop 20 and 20 on you. Like you said, and if he has that kind of game, it's a good chance that we would lose. We ran into Mike Sweetney's and Troy Murphy's and dudes that was capable of doing it. And when they had those big games, we was taking the L. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or you had a guy like a Carmelo or a Karan, and when they had that game, we took an L. So I'm not saying that Sam couldn't do it, but if he had that game, we would probably take an L. But hey, we showed that we can be beat them too. So don't just say that. <laughs> you know, I can see it going either way. Neither one of these teams can really definitively say our team was better. I can see it going either way. Those are both just two, in my opinion, the two best teams of that era. Two, best, two, right. two, two great teams. And it would be fun if we could – I mean, it's not possible. I will say this. I will would, say this. Let me say this one thing. Cool. I will say this. If – it would be really good, too, because I'm going to tell you the best scenario for this game. If I had to take a team to get a stop, I would take our team. If I had to take a team to get a bucket, I would take their team, which means I would like to see if this game would play, it come down to that. The ball in LeVan's hands <laughs> with them needing a bucket and us needing a stop. That would be, that would be pretty incredible now that you say that. Because you've got Sam who can go get a bucket at any time. LeVan, right. who is such a good shot creator. And then on defense, you've got Jerron on Sam, Chevy yeah. on Dewan down low, and not to mention you and Brandon um, guarding the guards. It would only be right. It would only, it be, would right. only be right. So, Julius, before you go, is there one last thing you want to leave us with? Leave Nothing, man. With. It's been my pleasure, you know, doing um, the podcast for, for you or doing whatever it is I do with, with the fan and anybody else for that matter. I'm supportive. If it's, if it's an association, it has to do with Pitt. I'm going to support my people. I'm going to support my guys. I'm going to support the people that, 
that big up and help brand <clears throat> the Pitt Panthers. So, you know, just reach out anytime I'm available. If we can make it work, let's make it work. And so one last thing before you go, how do you feel about the Pitt basketball program with Jeff Cable at the helm moving forward? Man, I love Jeff Cable. Let this man stay here. Let's treat him like he's supposed to be here. Let's not have these talks about this and that, man. Let's love on that man because he know what he's doing. He going to get guys. If he have a down year, let's just embrace it because we know he going to give his all. Let this be our guy. Let's have a face, not a revolving door. That's, my, that's where I stand. So I want to rock and rock with my guy. I want a longevity, a guy who going to be there 20, 25 years. I don't want the in and outs and all of that. Let's make the man happy. That's a good way to put it. And all the, all the alumni that I've talked to, just Trey Woodall, Gilbert Brown, just a few examples. That every, I think all the alumni are definitely on board with Coach Cable, and they believe in his vision, which honestly, in my opinion, it's more important than what the fans think. Because you guys Absolutely. are the ones who have been through the fire. You guys are the ones who have competed on that floor. And I think if you guys see it, I mean, I'm on board with Coach Cable also. So it's going to be a fun ride in the years to come. Well, my, my, thing, my thing is the fans matter, too. It's just that they a little wish more wishy-washy. They, they can jump off a little easier than what we can. And my thing is, it's going to come a time when he's going to maybe outplay his contract or outcoach his contract, I should say, and somebody's going to throw him the dough. <laughs> and let's act like we want to keep the guy is all I'm saying. Let's not, or, or it's going to be that time when we use it to success and he might have that down year and everybody want to jump off the bandwagon. No, let's embrace and remember the good times so we don't put ourselves in a position where a guy feel like he's looking for security because he think that we're getting a little restless with him getting exited from the tournament. Now we wish we was making it to the tournament, right? Mm-hmm. I think, <laughs> I think there's only one school that would throw him, throw him the money, and I think we, we all know who that school is. And Absolutely. But we got to compete. Knowing that that's coming, we better put ourselves in position to be ready. We got to put him in position to get that job. But when Duke comes calling, I got I had to say the name. Yeah, we we, we yeah. got to be ready to keep him. We got to compete with that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's do it. We know it's coming because For we sure. want him to have success. We want him to have success. And with success, we know that that's coming. So let's just be ready. Mm -hmm. So Julius, once again, thanks for joining us today. It was great having you on the show. Jordan, my pleasure, man. Anytime. Let me All know. Right.